Welcome back to Making Sense of Money, where we try to make tough financial topics a little bit easier to understand. I'm Andrew Pellegrini. I'm Nikki Jancola Shanks. We hope your 2024 is off to a wonderful start. On today's episode, we are so excited to have back a former co-host of this podcast, Jake Hamilton. Jake and I, once again, are co-workers at the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation, better known as IDFPR, but his role now is very different than when he was on the show previously. So Jake, can you tell us about your new role and the issues you're working on? Yeah, thanks, Nikki and Andrea. It's great to be back on the podcast with you both. Um, It's great to be in this new role at IDFPR as well, which is as a fintech policy advisor. I'm now working in the Office of Innovation with our regulatory innovation officer, David DiCarlo. I still work on a lot of things related to crypto, but we cover a wide range of other topics too, from financial technology to artificial intelligence, which is really uh, kind of popular right now. Um, Our office really serves as a resource for the other divisions in the agency on issues related to innovation and technology, and also as a resource to consumers and innovators and entrepreneurs looking to navigate regulations in Illinois. Thank you, Jake, again, for coming back and gracing us with your presence. We appreciate it so much, and you're delightful to have on the podcast. Um, You, as most of our listeners that have been on listening for a while know, you were always kind of our fintech and cryptocurrency guru. So I'm super happy uh, that you get to work on these things more in depth, um, which leads us to why we asked you to be a guest today, right? So the world of cryptocurrency is constantly changing and at times it feels impossible to keep up with it. We wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive into this topic than we've done in the past. So we have a two-part series lined up. Part one, which is today, will be focused on some of the basics of digital assets and how they work. We talked about these in previous episodes, but it's worthwhile to talk about them again since the, the context in which we kind of use these terms related to digital assets has shifted very quickly in the past couple of years. I'm hearing things about digital wallets in more reference to digital assets than I did a few years ago. And so those things would be valuable to, to revisit. So to start us off, um, Jake, how popular is crypto? Yeah, I'm happy to be back on the pod. I'll say it's really nice to be back with you guys. And hopefully I can clear up some of the terminology we're talking about. But uh, that is a great question. Cryptocurrency has certainly grown in popularity in recent years. The total value of all cryptocurrencies is is over a trillion dollars currently. And it peaked at over $2 trillion in 2021. But since then, the market has experienced a, a bit of a downturn uh, and very recently uh, an upswing again. Um, you know, we talk about cryptocurrency being kind of volatile a lot. We've seen that over the last couple of years. But Pew Research does an emerging technology survey every year. And from this year's survey, we know that about one in five U.S. adults have bought crypto at some point in, in the last, you know, since it's existed. And Jake, can you tell us who tends to buy crypto? Are there any sort of patterns? So... Demographic surveys have shown that most crypto investors are typically younger and male, but from the same Pew Research survey that I referenced just a moment ago, we also know that a disproportionate amount of minority investors are getting into crypto. Another interesting finding was that most 
that of the people who bought who first bought cryptocurrency within the last year, um, so between like 2022 and 2023 for this survey, the group that was more likely uh, that was most likely to have bought cryptocurrency in the last year while the market was experiencing a downturn uh, was lower income Americans rather than middle or upper income Americans. And that was just something that kind of stood out to us as we looked at the research. And I, I have seen a similar trend in other surveys um, for more recent investors. So, it, and it is obviously very surprising with how volatile it is as, as an asset. Um, there are also a lot of brand new terms that are being thrown around with all this digital innovation. And even some terms that I am kind of mentioned earlier have shifted in the context of how we use them because of digital innovation. So let's try to go through a few of these. Um, can you explain digital assets, which I know we've mentioned a couple of times, but can you give us some examples? Yeah. So put simply, digital assets are some form of digital value that is used like currency, but is not fiat currency, meaning it's not currency that is backed by a government. There are different types of digital assets. Cryptocurrency is just one example of them. Uh, the listeners may have heard of some others like stable coins or maybe even central bank digital currencies. And I know we've mentioned it already several times, but can you explain what cryptocurrency actually is and how it can be used? Cryptocurrency is a digital asset that is recorded on a cryptographically secured distributed ledger or similar technology. Uh, another term for that distributed ledger is a blockchain, which maybe is maybe more common and something people have heard of more often, which is, uh, but without getting into tech, into the technicalities, it's just a newer type of technology for recording uh, transactions, it, to put it more simply. Cryptocurrencies are, are used in a couple of different ways. Uh, the history of it's pretty interesting, at, at least to me. Um, when they were originally invented in 2008 with the release of Bitcoin, the idea behind it was that they could be used as a way for people to interact financially without the use of banks and traditional financial institutions. At that time, we were in the thick of the financial crisis and there was a lot of mistrust for banks. However, today, cryptocurrencies are, are mostly used as speculative investment. People are putting in their money in them because they hope that the value will increase. There are some people who use cryptocurrency for payments, but it's not all that common. Most retailers that you know you might go into, whether it's your grocery store, gas station, or the shopping mall, uh, aren't accepting cryptocurrency for payments yet because they can be so volatile. And just to piggyback off of that, I remember when crypto started getting really big, like um, there was a lot of talk that it was going to particularly help the unbanked or underbanked populations because they didn't have a necessary um, financial institution that they were tied to. Uh, so I know we're going to talk about regulation and, and things like that in the next podcast, because I know that that's, as you said, I, I feel like that belief has sort of been moved away because of what crypto has become. Yeah, there's some research out of the Brookings Institute that uh, kind of refutes the idea that cryptocurrencies are used as this tool to you know, expand financial services to the unbanked or underbanked um, that we can point to like in the show notes. Um, I don't want to dive too deep into that right now. But uh, yeah, I, I think certainly, you know, there was a lot of positive and uh, really hopeful ideas for cryptocurrency when it first came around is it could be this like 
wildly in an innovative like new technology that could upend the traditional financial system where people were going to stop using their bank accounts and they were going to start just like you know trading with each other with cryptocurrency uh it really hasn't turned into that uh over the last you know it was you know bitcoin was was created in 2008 so it's been 15 i guess 16 years now that we're in in 2024 since um since bitcoin came out and it really we just haven't seen that materialize it, it's it's mostly used as a as a speculative investment right now thank you jake and also that context of like when bitcoin came out gives you a history there's a lot more evidence now of how volatile it is which contributes to it not being useful as a currency so i think that makes a lot of sense in thinking about that volatility um, I've heard of the word stable coins. So can you provide some shed some light on the term stable coins, Jake? Absolutely. Stable coins are a type of cryptocurrency that is designed to hold a relatively stable value. They can be linked to fiat currencies like the US dollar or the euro. Um, they often are used as a way to facilitate transactions for other cryptocurrencies. And sometimes as a way to facilitate cross-border payments. They also are sometimes used for general payments. Some big companies have recently announced that their own have recently announced their own stable coins. So we may see more of that activity in coming in the next couple months. But I'll also say that regulators are starting to refer to these kinds of digital assets as, you know, quote unquote dollar tokens or currency tokens. This is because the term stablecoin implies stability, uh, obviously. When in fact, that isn't always the case. Uh, some of the biggest stable coins that are available on the market ha have lost their peg to the US dollar, and it's happened for various reasons. Um, you know, stable coins use different types of mechanisms to secure their value to the US dollar, and not all of those mechanisms work the same. And even stable coins with different mechanisms have all, you know, lost their peg to the US dollar at some point. So, um, yeah, there's just there's evidence that they're not always so stable. Well, then the name definitely can throw people off for for what they they think maybe a stablecoin is. So thank you for explaining. Um, another term, uh, probably our last like straight up definition type explaining term. Um, can you tell us what is the central bank digital currency? A central bank digital currency, or CBDC for short, is exactly what it sounds like. It's a digital asset that is issued by a central bank, like the Federal Reserve in the United States or the European Central Bank in the Eurozone. It, it's essentially a completely digital version of the US dollar. We use the dollar as an example. There are certain countries, like you know, smaller countries, especially that have piloted this type of currency, but in the U.S., it's still just being researched by the Federal Reserve Bank, and it's still theoretical. Um, the Federal Reserve has said multiple times that they're just researching these things right now, and they're not close to creating or issuing a CBDC, uh, and they wouldn't do so without approval from Congress. So I, I don't think it's something that you know the average person in the U.S. needs to needs to worry about um, to having it having a part of their financial you know, their financial well-being tomorrow or anything like that. So not currently available as a financial tool for, for the average American, um, at least. Yeah, you know, like said, yeah, like I said, there's some other countries that are piling it, but it's still pretty early on in like 
the rollout of those. So there hasn't been a ton of research to see like how viable they are as a type of like government issued currency. So I think we're just kind of in wait and see mode to see how those how those work out. Thank you, Jake. Um, so one thing that I think is more difficult for for people just learning about cryptocurrency to to visualize or understand is how the technology works. You talked about blockchain, you talked about distributed ledgers. Can you um, tell us more about that or give us some example to help the average user or average um, consumer better understand this type of technology? Yeah, that's a really important question, Andrea. Like I said before, it, it can it can all seem really technical and complex, but I'll try to simplify it for the listeners, you know, even, you know, I don't know if podcast is the best medium to, you know, try and explain things uh, without graphics or anything, but I'll do the best I can. Um, the underlying technology is a form of a ledger to record transactions. So it keeps, it keeps track of, you know, people sending money back and forth to each other. Traditionally, financial institutions like banks would use a centralized ledger to track all of our transactions for us. So like if you were to log into your bank account, you can see your checking account. You can see all of the transactions that you've made out of your checking account. Your bank tracks all of that for you. You can, you can think of that as like one big spreadsheet or Excel file that keeps track of all the money that's moving around. Distributed ledgers, on the other hand, allow multiple parties within a network to keep track of transactions. So all of the participants within a network, which are typically called nodes, keep a copy of the same ledger. And they all have to agree to add new transactions to the ledger. They do this by what are by using what are called consensus mechanisms. That way there isn't one central party keeping a record of all transactions. It's a decentralized process. Yeah, I think that this is something that is really hard for people to understand. I, at least I'll be honest, it's hard for me. Um, and I know that the Office of Innovation in our department um, does a great job with some graphs and stuff like that as well. So uh, that's helped. But if people are really interested in this side of it, I may, you know, I know we're going to have stuff in, linked in the show notes, but um, just know that if what Jake just described to you confused you a little bit, that there are visuals out there to help as well. Uh, so Jake, how do people actually buy and sell digital assets? There are a couple ways for people to buy and sell digital assets. I would say the most common one is to go to an online cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, there are lots of these out there. It's an online platform or an app on your phone where a person can create an account and buy and sell different types of cryptocurrencies. Um, these typically look very similar to apps where people can buy and sell stocks or other types of investments. Another way that people are buying crypto is through crypto ATMs or cryptocurrency kiosks. Listeners may have even seen some of these at their local gas station or convenience store. They're often located right next to a cash ATM or lottery ticket machine. People can go to these kiosks and put in their debit or credit card and buy Bitcoin or other types of cryptocurrency. Ironically, though, these financial intermediaries have, have been created to help people get into crypto, even though, like I mentioned earlier, early on crypto enthusiasts thought this would be a way for people to transact without financial intermediaries, but it, it, it turns out that most people are using intermediaries 
still to to like get into Bitcoin or other crypto. So you mentioned um, like a lot of of parallels to traditional financial services, like um, having these ATMs, which we have ATMs for financial institutions. Um, and so you might think that there's a physical re representation or of your crypto or digital asset, um, but that's not the case. So Jake, can you kind of describe how cryptocurrency is stored and how you can access it? So since crypto is digital, it is stored digitally as well. People keep their crypto in quote unquote crypto wallets. These accounts operates by, operate by having two separate, what they call keys, uh, a public one, which is like, you could compare it to like an address um, and a private key that operates like a password. You need both to access the crypto in the wallet. So you think of it, I, I, I like to think of it as almost like a house, right? If you wanted to send mail to somebody, you would need their address to send mail. And then like at my apartment building, if somebody sends me mail, um, you know, the mail comes in here and then I need a key, like a physical key to unlock my mailbox to achieve, to grab the mail that's in there. Crypto wallets operate the same way, except it just exists online. So people, if they want to send you Bitcoin, they need an address to send that to. That's the public key that tells them where your wallet is located, where to send it. And then if you want to access the Bitcoin that's in that wallet, you need a private key, which is like a password. Typically, you know, these are like very long keywords or whatever. Um, and then you need a password to get into your wallet to access that cryptocurrency. Some of the exchanges like that I mentioned earlier, they may offer their own wallet when you open an account with them. And so they really are the ones that hold on to your crypto on your behalf. Like, you you know, if you open an account, you might have a wallet built in and all you need is your password to get into that account. And that's kind of how you access it. They kind of keep track of the public key, but there are other ways too. And just for clarification, Jake, when you have an exchange held uh, digital wallet, you have the option of like resetting your password if you lose it to access the wallet, whereas that's not the case with some other ones. In some cases, yes, I don't I, I, I can't speak for, you know, every exchange out there. There, right, are some, right. there are some like exchanges that will let you reset your password um, to get into your account, you know, for example. Um, but and so if you have access to your account, you, you have access to your wallet because they kind of keep track of both of those simultaneously. Um, but like if you were to transfer your cryptocurrency off of that exchange wallet into like your own private crypto wallet, then you would really need to make sure that you keep track of your password because it's possible you could get locked out of it. Yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't be able to reset it. You know, there's, yeah. With all these different wa digital wallets, um, which is a broader term that incorporates other types of um, digital transaction options with like fiat currencies. You can store um, like your your debit card or credit card information in, in other types of digital wallets. We're not talking about that with crypto. But can you clarify the difference between a hot wallet and a cold wallet when it comes to storing digital assets? Yeah, it's a great point. It, so it's important to note the difference between crypto wallets and digital wallets. 
most people are probably familiar with digital wallets like Apple Pay or Google Pay, where you can store credit or debit card payment information on a device like your smartphone. Crypto wallets are different in that they hold your cryptocurrency and not your fiat money accounts. When it comes to crypto wallets, hot and cold basically just means the difference between being connected to the internet or not. A hot wallet is something that you can access online via a website, for example, so connected to the internet. A cold wallet is something that can be stored offline on a thumb drive or other kind of hard drive, um, and so not connected to the internet. Um, and these cold wallets, because they're not connected to the internet, they're generally thought of as more secure than hot wallets. So, Jake, you had mentioned earlier that um, not everywhere is taking cryptocurrency as like a form of payment. So, can you tell us can can you buy anything with cryptocurrency currently? Sure. There are retailers and vendors that would accept cryptocurrency as a form of payment. Um, but like I said earlier, it's just not all that common. There are surveys that show there is some interest in retailers to expand into this space, but most consumers are still buying things with dollars these days. Uh, of course, within the crypto industry, there are things like non-fungible tokens, NFTs that you can buy with cryptocurrency. But for general goods and services, like when you go to the grocery store, you go out to eat at a restaurant, uh, typically they're not. It's not an option that you can pay for those products, uh, goods and services with with Bitcoin. I mean, you do hear st stories of of people who you know buy things. Of people have bought a house in Bitcoin, you know, or headline grabbing things. But it's just in in general, it's not really common across the economy. Jake, when you were talking earlier about um, not cryptocurrency is not typically used as a currency, even though that was a, its initial kind of um, intention. Uh, early in the 2010s, I'd say like 2013, 2014, there was a local deli that started accepting certain cryptocurrencies, which I thought was very innovative. They don't have that sign up anymore, though. Yeah, you know, you never know. Like, if you go into a local local business and the owner of that business is is a real crypto enthusiast, they might gladly take you know cryptocurrency off your hands so that they have that instead of you know regular uh, U.S. dollars. But I, I haven't seen it too often. You know, uh, even like a, a lot of big retailers. You know, I haven't I haven't seen too many headlines about you know big big retailers, you know, big box stores accepting crypto as a payment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are several different cryptocurrencies available. We we mentioned Bitcoin already, um, but can you elaborate maybe on its role in the current crypto landscape and talk about some of the other types of cryptocurrencies uh, that a consumer can buy? Yeah, Bitcoin is thought of as the very first cryptocurrency. And, you know, there's certainly like digital representat representations of value that existed before Bitcoin, but it's thought of as the first because of how groundbreaking it was and that it, it you know, the blockchain technology and um, it, it solved some like things called like the double spin problem, which is really technical. And I won't like bore the listeners getting into that here. Um, but Bitcoin is thought of as the first and it's certainly still the most popular current cryptocurrency to this date. Uh, at any given point, Bitcoin is roughly half of the entire cryptocurrency market. But there are thousands of different cryptocurrencies and most of them are worth 
pretty much nothing, um, like less than a cent. You know, you, you might pull them up on exchange and you'll see they're worth like 0.000001 cent, you know. Um, listeners may have heard of like things like meme, meme coins. Um, Dogecoin was a really popular one, for example. Uh, but there are other cryptocurrencies that are similar to Bitcoin that have quite large values as well. Listeners may be familiar with other ones such as Ethereum, which is a blockchain. Their coin is called Ether. Binance coin, um, XRP, Tether, Circle, or Solana. Um, those are kind of the really popular ones. They are all currently in the top 10 um, based on market capitalization, which just, just means that like, if you add up the total number of coins that are in circulation and then times that by the value of coin, that's how you get the market capitalization. Are there any particular learning resources about digital assets that you might recommend to our listeners, Jake? Sure. Uh, I'd be remiss if I don't plug our own agency's report on blockchain technology. I think the introduction section, which isn't too long um, for, for people, especially is a good primer on just like the underlying technology. And there's some you know, graphics in there that kind of, I think, help explain it better than just me talking. Um, and, and it covers some of the other basics of crypto. Also, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has a whole section on investor.gov about the risk of crypto and uh, scams to be aware of. And we can put both of those in the show notes, both the links to those. Yeah, I, we're going to have a lot of show notes, I think, because we have Pew study. So just if, if this is something you're really interested in, make sure you check those show notes because we'll link to a whole bunch of information. Um, so Jake, you've provided us a ton of information for this uh, first part of our crypto cryptocurrency mini series. So do you have any last thoughts you want to share? Well, yeah, I would just say thank you to, to you both for having me back on. It's been really fun to be back on the podcast. But I would just tell the listeners to be a little skeptical when getting into crypto. I know that can be enticing when you hear stories about people making a lot of money really quickly. But there's also a lot of people who have invested in crypto that have lost money. You know, like I talked about the market experience, a really big downturn from 22 to 2023. A lot of people got caught up in that hype. And then when the values of of cryptocurrencies fell dramatically, a lot of people lost a lot of money. And there was companies that went bankrupt that led people to lose money. So there, there's a lot of risk involved with investing in cryptocurrency. And there's also not currently many regulations or consumer protections in the crypto industry, like there is compared to tradi traditional finance and traditional investment opportunities. So I would I'd really stress to listeners to proceed with caution and, and do their research before diving in. Um, there's a lot of scams and fraud in this industry as well due to these lack of regulations. So just be really diligent if you are going to get into crypto. Thank you so much for being on today, Jake. We really appreciate you coming back as a prior co-host. Um, it's so much fun to have you back on the episode today. If this episode sparked any questions about crypto for our listeners that you, you'd like us to answer, please reach out to IDFPR on social media and we will make sure to share the links to the, our different social medias for IDFPR in the show notes as well. And the great news is, as we mentioned, you'll be back. 
So part two of our cryptocurrency mini-series mini will air next with IDFPR's Office of Innovation returning to talk to us through why crypto has been called the wild west of finance and how it affects consumers. So thank you for listening and don't forget to like, subscribe, or follow on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud.